Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 38 here on the podcast, and today we welcome in special guest Jerry Palm with CBS uh, Sports, a senior writer. Um, Jerry, uh, thanks for taking time today to join us. Always uh, happy to talk Purdue basketball. So um, before we get into the current season we are in and the uh, upcoming tournament um, and all the details around this year's teams, I wanted to um, dive into your background a little bit. So you are a Purdue guy, um, went, went to school here. Talk us, uh, talk us through where you're from, your kind of your upbringing, and then what, uh, what made you uh, eventually make your way to West Lafayette for your education? Well, I was actually born in Lafayette when my parents were in school. I was born in a home hospital, which I see now that they have um, torn down and, and replaced with a senior center, probably anticipating my return. But um, <laughs> they, uh, uh, so I, I'm essentially a born and bred Boilermaker. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, mostly on the Illinois side, even though I, I live on the Indiana side now. Um, and have been there pretty much all of my life, except for four years at Purdue and about nine months in Hawaii when my dad had a job there. And, uh, uh, it's, um, you know, I was pretty much always going to Purdue, uh, if they were good at what I wanted to study and I was a computer science major. So obviously Purdue is an elite computer science school. So that was an easy choice for me. Um, going, uh, going to Purdue back in the eighties, I graduated in, in 1985. Um, I was in the band marching band, uh, when I was at Purdue, I was never good enough to be in boiler brass, but, uh, I was in the in the marching band for the football games, and that was a that was a blast. And really, most of my friends from Purdue are still band people. Um, cool. I now have a son at Purdue, so third generation Boilermaker there now, freshman in engineering, and uh, and he's also in the band. So it's uh, Purdue's been part of my family forever, and probably will be forever. So when you started uh, your career, though, you started in the banking industry. Yeah, I was. Uh, I worked for lawyers and bankers. Uh, as a computer programmer, analyst, uh, manager of a department, and, uh, you know, I had a pretty good career doing that, um, and I enjoyed it. It was it was fun, but then I started, uh, um, saw in like 1994, uh, right about, well, Glenn Robinson's first year with Purdue, um, his first year eligible anyway, that uh, uh, they had changed the RPI for that season, and... Uh, that they, and I saw an article with the formula in it. I had a computer and too much time on my hands. I had heard of the RPI, but didn't really know that much about how it was used and just started tracking it for my own edification. And, you know, back then, I mean, Al Gore had just invented the internet. So we didn't really have, <laughs> you know, school websites and stuff and easy ways to get data. So I'd go to the library to get data, enter things all by hand into my computer, I actually still enter data by hand into my computer. But, um, it's, uh, I, I started to put the numbers together, shared them on uh, what news groups, uh, which is the caveman writing on the wall version of uh, message boards these days, and uh, thought that nobody would care. And it turns out people were interested in it and started asking for it more often. And so I had to come up with ways to do it without trying to email everybody because that would have been too much work. But uh, it just kind of grew from there. And then... Really, the miracle of my story is that about two years into it, uh, a guy who covers Penn State, the one year in a generation that Penn State is good at basketball, a guy <laughs> discovers me who covers them, and we start talking about you know the numbers and what I'm doing and the brackets and all of that, and he likes me. He tells two friends. They tell two friends. Shampoo commercial breaks out for those of you old enough to get that, and uh, next thing you know, everybody who covers college basketball knows who I am, and I haven't done anything except talk to really just answer my phone when people call it's uh <laughs> the sports writer network was pretty incredible and uh and now it's it turned into a career after i got downsized from my second job we got bought by one bank too many um i ended up uh doing this as a full-time job and got hired by cbs about seven years ago and uh, uh yeah it's uh never really would have thought that this would be my career path at, at any point until it became my career path. So when you were at Purdue, I mean, I guess one of my questions is, um, when you were in your computer science classes and things like that, 
were you doing any sports related stuff at that point or i mean or, well, and, oh no i was mostly well i wasn't working on sports stuff no i was really just a fan i mean i was a crazy purdue fan you know i, I would have totally been a paint crew leader if they had such a thing when i was in school i was that kind of a fan and i uh, i actually was uh there are pictures of me uh, riding on a guy's shoulder waving a flag uh during the that 83 84 season when uh we won the big 10 with a with a bunch of guys that were picked to finish 10th or 9th in that yeah, league that yeah. year um that was uh uh I, I was definitely the crazy fan in the stands for you were, sure you were had you had both feet in we, that's cool yep so then uh and and obviously the 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 your major in that field i mean i can't think of any area that's changed more over the last 30 years um yeah that's funny uh i was actually talking to somebody about that uh just the other day a, a kid who was um is studying computer science at a school around here just happened to run into him and was talking to him and, and we were talking about just how different computer science is now than it was 30 years ago i mean here you know everybody's walking around with a computer in their pocket you know back right. then right. you know my, my class at Purdue, my freshman class at Purdue, was the first one that didn't have to write programs on cards and feed them through card readers. Wow. The engineers still had to, but the computer science majors didn't. Now, I did it anyway once because I was a geek, but okay, I'm still a geek. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that, that was, that's how, you know, the, the computers then, you know, there were huge rooms and they, you know, they're like the size of your house with all the computers in it. We had terminals with you know, like we're green with white letters on it or yellow letters on it. It was just, you know, it's <laughs> watching watch an old 1980s movie about uh, like war games or something like that. And and even that's more advanced than what we were doing back then. So you get your intro and you start you start kind of dabbling with the RPI. Um, at what point did you then start turning your attention to um, predicting the bracket? Right away, I just didn't share that the first year that I did it. Um, <laughs> so how but, how accurate were you on your first year? Well, I had Purdue as a one seed. There we go. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I uh, missed a couple, or maybe three, but the one that I didn't share. Um, and then, and I think that was right about the time that Joel Lenardi got started over at ESPN. And so it was basically uh, me and him for. 15 years. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you what we, the timing of that because I think a lot of people um you know your two names are synonymous with it. Joe maybe yeah. Joe maybe gets the advantage of uh for a lot of those years ESPN would, you know, right. prop him up a lot. Um yeah. but you've been right there the whole time and I guess uh yeah. I, I guess when I think about um when I think about the term bracketologist, I mean, you guys you've kind of created an entire field. I mean, like Cliz and I were just sitting it here really talking. Is. We were just sitting like, here talking before we started taping about uh, the whole idea of being a bracketologist, yeah, you know, is yeah. it's amazing where, how this has grown. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I never thought until it actually became my career that it would ever become a career. You know, it's just, it's uh, and I shake my head every day, almost, you know, just, well, the thing is in, in amazement that, that, that this is my, now my job. I'm doing this as a, as a job. And, uh, uh, and but people are interested in it, so yeah. as as people are interested in it. I'm I'm happy to do it. I'm interested in it too. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I hate the word though, bracketologist. <laughs> not, it sounds you know kind of grossly medical. You know, like if your friend came up to you today and said, "You need to you know, I had to see my bracketologist today." <laughs> your first thoughts would be, "Oh my gosh, I hope you're okay, and please don't spare any details." Um, so I don't know. Well, I've never thing, really come up with anything better, well, I guess, but. Let me ask you this, though. I, I find it, um, I find it incredibly interesting that people now. Now look where we are in the season. We still have, you know, we have four games left. Regular a month season. to go, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. the Big Ten's got three weeks, but everybody yeah. else has got a month. Right, and and so we're a long way away from having this thing settled, and yet people. Right. I mean, you guys. I mean, you go to work like the first week of the season, and say. Okay, here's we're gonna fill in some spots here, and right. I'm and I'm thinking to myself, who's crazy enough to look at any of this stuff? I yeah, mean, but people are interested. I know um, it's amazing. And uh, you know, I do a preseason bracket, uh, you know, like right before the season. Every once in a while, they'll ask me to do a pre preseason bracket. <laughs> like in August. And uh, one year, they asked me to do uh, um, uh, something like right after the final four, and I was like, you know, we don't even know who's going to the NBA yet. 
Right. Um, and besides, I need to do my taxes. Can I do my taxes <laughs> first? Uh, so, well, yeah, uh, yeah, but but people, and then I don't usually do another one until the middle of December, usually right around finals week for most of the schools. Uh, that's kind of a slow week and an easy time to do one, and football season's over, so... Um, so we're not really competing with that. And then, but once the right about the time of the football championship game, it's twice a week. And uh, once the conference tournament start, it'll be uh, every day. It's wow. a, it's amazing. Cause that was one of the things I, I had written down here is that when you first got involved in this in the nineties, mid nineties, um, it seems to me, and I was, I was a young SID at that time, but I seem to real remember that, you know, the first time you would see brackets, were maybe what february yeah and and right. it was like and it was really cool because for those who, those of us who are huge college basketball fans when those brackets came out in mid-february that was your first chance to see like what others were thinking and so like right. now to think back upon those times like you never knew like your work in november you never knew where that what position that put you in for your team right and right. then all of a sudden, February was like kind of like a Christmas. You're like, oh boy, here now here we see where we're at. Now we can start seeing what we need to do and what work we have ahead of us. But before that, it was just kind of a guessing game of where right. things would you know end up. Well, and and I think part of the appeal of this is similar to the appeal of like mock drafts and things like that. It gets you thinking about your future. You know what 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 sort what's in lies in store for my team. You know what would. What would things in terms of brackets? It's like, gosh, you know, if the tournament started today, this is the position that we're in, right? Um, you know, and uh, so what can we do? You know, what's left? What can we do to get better, better our position? Uh, I get a lot of questions from, like, you know, for example, Tennessee fans. What can we do to get to play in Nashville for the first two rounds? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know that that kind of stuff is important to fans. So you know, there's there's a lot of sort of varying reasons I think why it's interesting, but mostly it just gets you thinking about. You know, if you're a college basketball fan, it gets you thinking about the most fun part of our season, which is March Madness and the NCAA tournament. Well, I, hey, I, I have to tell you, driving over here this morning, I was talking to uh, uh, my girlfriend as we were coming over here, and I said, because we were talking about you, and I said, and she said, well, you know, he, he's got you right now. He's got you number one in the West. And I'm thinking, man, that's really cool, but I'd like to be a number one in the Midwest. And it's, right. and it's, and it's all... To me, it's all just a matter of logistics. I would right. rather go to Detroit than I would have to fly. But I'd love to be a number one seed, you understand? But but yeah. I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm buying in. Here we are. Yeah, okay, that's all right. You know, There are worse consolation prizes in Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. Good point. So one of the things that, that I think, um, I th- and I re- it really reminded me, was on the reveal on Sunday um, when they explain – they, when when they go through and explain some of the different rules that I don't know, and I know some of our fans understand all these rules, but to the casual fan who maybe just tunes in uh, in March and sees the bracket, um, obviously they evaluate each team and their strength of schedule, their body of work, that kind of thing. Right. But there's yeah. a lot of Pretty behind the scenes. Really yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of behind the scenes things in terms of how you separate teams in the same conference and that kind of thing and you've got to be up to speed on all those rules so what are some of those kind of rules that apply in terms of maybe locations you can send teams to or how you space teams out yeah so the first thing the the, for the bracketing by the way is the last thing the committee does they don't they're not looking at brackets while they're doing their seed list and things like that that they do they do all the selections they do all the seeding what they rank the teams one to 68 and but when all of that is done, they start bracketing, and that is usually either late Saturday night or first thing Sunday morning. Um, and sometimes they have to do contingency brackets because there are games on Sunday that they have to account for. Uh, sometimes, so uh, but they'll take the first team in the bracket, the first team on their seed list, the number one team, and put them in the bracket at their closest location uh, for the regional, but also the sub-regional, and they. Uh, and then they, they put each team in the bracket in order, number two, number three, number four, closest regional for number two that's still available, closest regional for number three that's still available. And in this particular case, when they got to Purdue, the only region left was the West, and so that's where we go. Um, then when they get to number five, they're, then that's when some of the rules start to come into play, the conflict rules. Uh, the first one that applies only to the number five team 
is that they cannot have the overall number one and the highest ranked number two in the same region. And in this case, in the, the what the committee revealed on Sunday, Auburn was the highest ranked number two. Their natural region would be Atlanta, but the Virginia was already there, and they're the overall number one, so they can't be in the same region. So Auburn actually had to get moved out of that region, and that's to make it easier for the committee to balance the bracket. Gotcha. For the, and then balance is based on, essentially, they add up the overall seed number mm-hmm. in each of the four for the top four seeds in each region and try to get within about five between the highest and the lowest. And so I think what they had the other day was three thirty threes in the West where Purdue was was thirty seven, and that they consider that good enough balance. Okay. Um, so uh, I don't remember who number six was uh, off the top of my. Was it Kansas? Oh, Kansas. So Kansas would be a Midwest team. Um, oh, but yeah, a Midwest team, and then Cincinnati got put out west originally, and after they got all the way through the one through sixteens, they looked at the balance and it was really bad. Um, so, uh, actually, because they had Cincinnati out west, and I think Kansas in the south, so um, they had to switch Kansas and Cincinnati to get that balance better off. So that's how Kansas ended out up out west with Purdue, even though uh, Atlanta was closer for them, and Cincinnati ended up in Atlanta, even though they were the number eight team. Now, does that kind of detail go through, like when they do the full bracket and they get into the you know seven, eight, nine seeds? Does that same philosophy or uh, level of... Well, the philosophy of playing close to home still applies. Okay. Yes. They're no longer concerning themselves as much with overall balance of the bracket at that point. That They usually base that just on the top four seeds. Um, But there are conference conflict rules. So uh, among the top four seeds in each region, uh, teams from the same conference need to be separated. So if you look at the Big Ten... Purdue, Michigan State, and Ohio State are all in different regions. That's the rules, right? So, you know, Purdue is getting, obviously, first preference as the higher seed. You know, they ended up out west. So when they got down to Michigan State, west was not an option for them. They had to put them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get to, like, the four line, and you've got a problem because of conference conflict rules. You can't get everybody where they need to be, and then you have to go back up and shift some other teams around to make it happen. Right. So... So it's it's usually not difficult to do that, but and the the switch that they made with Kansas and Cincinnati for balance is something they usually don't have to do. But in this case, they did, and if they do, then that's what they do. Um, so once they get through the top sixteen and get them all in their regions, then they go back and assign the subregional sites, and that is also done by geography. So in this case, Virginia would probably be in Charlotte or Pittsburgh. Uh, and Virginia actually gets to choose. The overall number one seed uh, gets to choose where they go. They're the only team that gets to. So I think I put them in Charlotte. I don't know what they chose, but that would be my guess, even though Pittsburgh is probably 50 miles closer. Um, And then uh, Villanova in Pittsburgh and um, Xavier and Purdue both in Detroit because that's closest. Uh, Xavier is close enough. Kind of Xavier and Cincinnati are both kind of almost it's almost equal distance to Nashville and Detroit. Mm-hmm. So it's possible the committee could put uh, one of those two teams in Nashville as opposed to Detroit, but they would do it only um, for some other circumstance as opposed to school preference. You know, like they they want to get Michigan State in Detroit so they can take a bus ride, so they might put Xavier in Nashville. Gotcha. You know, just yeah. to, you know because it's, it, it doesn't matter much to them. But Michigan State would have to fly to Nashville. They can ride a bus to Detroit, so they might do something like that. So who does um, all who who does all the, this? The though? But the committee. I mean, does the committee have certain experts that like one guy is responsible well, they for geography? Guides them through the. They have a staff member that guides them through the process. You know, then they've got a they've got a spreadsheet that that flags potential errors. Uh, but they they do it collectively, and sometimes there are decisions to be made with regard to. Um, you know, geography or, uh, you know, uh, avoiding certain matchups that, you know, a lot of those, uh, really the bracket is the easiest thing they do because there are so many rules in place that you're, you're, you're just, a lot of times you don't really have a lot of choices where to put certain teams. So, uh, but as you get further down the bracket, the conference, the only rules really then are conference conflicts. Teams from the same conference cannot play each other 
until it cannot be bracketed to play each other until a regional final if they've played each other three times in the regular season. Okay. So that would be home and home in conference and once in the conference tournament. If they've only played each other twice in the regular season, uh, then they can be bracketed to meet in the Sweet 16. If they've only played each other once in the con- in the regular season, members of the same conference could be bracketed to meet as early as the second round. Wow, I didn't know that rule. Okay. And that's, well, that's new from about five years ago. And they had to do that because they were, you know, the Big East at that point yeah. still had 16 teams, and they put 11 teams in the field, and it's yeah. like, we can't even do a bracket, yeah. right? So yeah. they had to create th- these bracketing rules. I mean, they sound like they're, they, they make it restrictive, but it's actually building flexibility for the committee to do the things that they need to do to provide a balanced bracket and competitive bracket. So let me ask you this. When you, when you first put your brackets together there's no real blueprint i mean you're kind of doing it on your own you kind of go back and i I would assume reference history from past committees but and i'm assuming you go to you've been to the mock um three times okay so for our fans listening uh the ncaa will bring in media from around the country um I think they do it once a year now. Uh, yeah, it's usually right around this time. Yeah, um, yeah, they, and they, they have not done it the last two years. Okay, uh, because they were doing this show and they were afraid it would be too much to do all at once for the committee. Gotcha. So, uh, but they're still they're talking about bringing that back. So what they've what they have done is they so they picked certain media members to come in and basically take part in the exercise. And the media members would then represent committee members, and they would basically lay the bracket out. And I think it was a good move on the NCAA's part because it allowed writers to then talk about the process with some actual firsthand knowledge and maybe a little bit of empathy for what some of these committee members go through when they're putting the bracket together. So my question for you, Jerry, is you, you do this bracket on your own, and then right. you go to your first mock selection. Is it like going to Oz and like pulling the curtain back and like this is it? Or what was that moment like for you? When I went to my first mock, um, I felt like I was getting well, – well, first of all, it was fun to be around the NCAA people and to see their tools and to see, to see the data the way they're looking at the data because I – created my own tools that I still use mm-hmm. that show me the, the data, allow me to compare teams. I knew what data they were looking at, but I didn't see it the way they saw it. And um, so that, that was helpful to me because I think it's important to know, you know, what it is exactly you're looking at and what that looks like to you. And I, I've seen their team sheets and they're, they're largely the same. Some, there's a, there's some minor tweaks to it since, you know, the first mock I went to, which was probably at least over a decade ago. Um, but I think they're kind of ugly. If I had to, if I had to compare teams, looking at those team sheets, I'd have a problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it was helpful because I could see the way they divided groups and things like that, and which data was actually on the team sheet, which one, which data wasn't. And some of those finer details was helpful to me so that I was able to tweak my tools so that I could look at teams in a way that was more beneficial to me uh, and trying to do my job, but yet had all the relevant data on it. And, uh, so that was a, my biggest takeaway probably from the first mock was that I got to see, um, I got to see the data the way they see the data. And what year did CBS then say, put a bracket together. We want to publish it for, from you. What was the first year that they, they mm. put that on you? Well, I became full-time for them in 2011, so probably three or four years before I was freelancing for them while I was still running my own sites. Um, I guess I'm one of the pioneers in somebody making uh, money off the Internet on media because I had subscription (laughs) sites uh, after I got downsized, which was 2002. This became full-time for me in 2002. Um, And uh, and so I I had free sites and turned them to subscriptions and was able to make something of a living off of that and um, did some freelance work and CBS probably about 2007 or eight started freelancing for them. And in 2011 for, for all intents and purposes, they bought me out and I became full time for them. Now, when you freelanced, uh, who contacted you originally just said, Hey, uh, we got to get a hold of this guy. One of the editors at CBS uh, contacted me and to see what I could do for them. And I would do brackets for them. I would do them on different days. I would write, you know, columns that had different information because they're giving away for free what I'm charging. So that was a difficult task to manage. I had to make sure that what I was giving CBS that they were putting up for free was different enough than what I was charging subscribers for. So that, that became a pretty delicate balance. And and I, uh, about a couple of years before they actually 
took me on full time. I was kind of joking with the editor, you know, when we had our annual summer call to talk about the upcoming year. <laughs> Rate increase. You ought to just buy me out. And he laughed. And you ought to just buy me out. And I think the second or third time I, I said it, he actually said, well, you know, it's funny. We were actually talking about that. I think that's what we would like to do. So, um, well, so good that, for you. Uh, that's very yeah, cool. So, yeah, that, that, that was a, that was a, um, that was a big deal for me, even though I wasn't going to be independent anymore. And I built a nice little brand for myself. I was never going to be CBS. And, um, it really, uh, took a lot of the overhead of running a business away from me, which was, uh, really useful. Well, part of your duties with CBS is now you've expanded into, uh, into some football stuff as well. Um, yeah, I actually started doing that right away with the start of the BCS in 1998. Yeah. So, um, so talk us through that. So bowl projections and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course, back then the BCS was, you know, the BCS was always based on a formula. Yeah. So it was yeah. pretty much, uh, it was pretty easy to adapt what I was doing for basketball in terms of the RPI and the number crunching part of it, and uh, and adopting it for football. So I just I created a site for football and started tracking the numbers um, and doing bowl projections. And you know, obviously BCS bowl projections were uh, the the ones of greater interest, but if, go ahead and project all the bowls. And that's, it's really a very different process because when I do, first of all, basketball, the RPI guides the process, but RPI is never decisive. You know, the, the committee never, never says, well, this team's got a better RPI. We're going to take them or give them a better seat. It's, it's not used that way at all. Uh, your RPI of your opponents is actually more important than your own RPI. Uh, your own RPI is a reflection of the kind of season you've had, but you, the, they look at, you know, groupings like one to 50, you know, 51 to a hundred, they use the RPI as an aggregator um, more than they use it as any sort of decisive thing. But in the BCS, the rankings rule, right? right. So being able to project those rankings was really important. Um, but with basketball, you're reading the mind of a 10 person selection committee. Yeah. You have an idea. And, and that's more behavior analysis, right? <laughs> I've got, I've got a big, I, I've yeah. got a big database or a spreadsheet that gives me an idea what sort of things they've rewarded in the past in similar circumstances and use that to predict what they're going to do in the future, keeping in mind, of course, that, that a couple people turn over every year and things change and the criteria changes some. And, you know, it's uh, but it's, it's really more uh, predicting the future based on past behavior, whereas football has always been, you know, rankings, rankings, rankings until they created a committee. And now there's almost no data and it's all, you know, fortune telling pretty much. So when you do this stuff and you put it out there, um, and now with a with the platform you're on with CBS, um, I'm sure that you hear from some fan bases who maybe All don't don't at agree. Some, some point, yes. <laughs> so how do you? There, I mean, there are several cities that I'm no longer welcome. <laughs> My favorite, actually, is when Purdue fans get on me and, and accuse me of being an IU fan or um, you know an Indiana homer or whatever. That you know that that always. Um, and then there's usually somebody who knows me that gets on there and says, well, you know, we actually went to Purdue, you idiot. But... <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's the, the world of social media we live in now. Well, and I don't usually hide. I, don't, I find that it doesn't really pay to hide the fact that I went to Purdue. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I, I can, I'm able to set aside my bias for the most part, although after we lost to Ohio State, I had to walk away from Twitter for about 12 hours because otherwise I – and stay away from my bracket. I might have had us in the uh, in the first four out if, uh, after that game. Well, but, I said. Uh, well, I said, and I I can't recall. And you know, I've done over twelve hundred Purdue games. I do not recall. I did not go back and research it, but I I do not remember a time that we played back to back ranked teams and had that game decided inside of three seconds to yeah. the to the negative to the negative. Right. Uh, yeah. Ever, ever, I, I can't ever recall that. Well, I mean, you probably probably wouldn't have more than a maybe a couple dozen totals. That yeah, were yeah, right. Inside of three seconds. Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, the Michigan State game didn't frustrate me as much because that's road game, great team. You know, that kind of stuff happens. The Ohio State game was frustrating because that was at home. Yeah, you yeah, are, you want to take care of your home games. Hey, I want to ask you um, if you ever, because I do our scheduling, our non-conference scheduling, um, and I wanted to ask you: Do you ever have has any team ever contacted you and said, "Hey," uh, and and ask for some advice when they're putting together their non-conference schedule? Yes, um, that it's not common, but yes, um, and also conferences uh, have asked about it, um, and so that's 
uh, yeah, that's something that and you comes, say, across, comes across my desk every once in a while. And um, you say, and you say, write me a check, and I'll send you some advice. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little of that, perhaps. Um, I, uh, you know, I, my advice is. I mean, there's a lot of ways. I think people are surprised by how the RPI works. Mm-hmm. I think that people have different ideas, a, a perception as to how the RPI works, and it really works differently than they perceive. And uh, so, um, you know, but for individual teams, for conferences, you know, the, the you're, you're trying to impress a selection committee. So really the advice boils down to, you know, pretty simple. You should always play the best team you can beat. Hey, Jerry, you know, though, when you talk about RPI, it's one of the most used three initials in or three letters in the, uh-huh. in basketball, period. Right. And so that, that thing's thrown around so much in so many conversations. Yeah, I mean, there's probably 85% of the people, fans, don't have a clue what RPI is. Well, that's it's the way a, I was in 93, 94. <laughs> you know, when I first started <laughs> looking at it, it's like, all right, you know. But I, you know, I was a numbers geek, so I kind of wanted to, you know, figure it out uh, just for myself, and just started sharing the information. So there's still people that need to have the information shared. So what do you think about that now, though, in, in the terms of sports in general, about analytics, about uh, computer programs, uh, all this thing in the future of this business as we see it now? I mean, we have an analytics guy on staff now here you at do. Purdue. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, I want to meet him sometime. It's, um, it's really cool. I mean, it's really neat to, to look at the numbers. Numbers, to me, have always, I mean, it seems sensical in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, um, I, I think that, uh, I think there's some really good work being done in that field. Uh, I don't usually, I'm not in it myself, but I'm really, I'm, I'm, that's not what I do so much. But guys like Ken Pomeroy, who really sort of pioneered it in terms of uh, college basketball anyway. Right. Um has done a lot of great work. Sagarin, of course, has had his ratings for a number of years, and, and he does some good stuff too. Um, but, this, you know, Pomeroy has really kind of pioneered a lot of that sort of advanced statistical knowledge. And and I think that that could be really helpful. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things in athletics you can't measure with a computer, right? Right. Experience isn't really something you can measure. Your heart isn't really something you can measure. Your decision-making abilities you know that's not something you can measure you can measure your ability to shoot and from different places on the floor and how you collectively defend and how fast you play and all of that stuff and that's i think that's all very helpful uh and and i think it can really help you know coaches in particular with decision making and it can help scouting uh i I think all of that is really uh, pretty exciting stuff and if i was you know maybe 15 years younger I probably would have gotten into that instead of this. Okay. Um, but it's uh, I, I think it's there's some pretty cool work being done. Uh, but I always I just always caution that you always have to keep in mind stuff that computers can't measure. Yeah, there's a lot of variables that uh, that you need to sort out when you're looking at those type statistics. As we're kind of learning this year with our first year of, of having an analytics person on board. Um, so we're in the second season now of doing this top 16 reveal, uh, right. which just came out on Sunday. And um, I'll be honest, when when they started it last year, uh, I wasn't a big fan. I guess maybe naively, I didn't really, um, I didn't really see the point of it. But now, um, now that we've been through a couple of them, uh, I think it's probably, I think it's probably a pretty cool thing. Um, I think that it gives. I know it's only the 16 teams that really get an idea, but probably a few more that maybe thought they were top 16 worthy. Uh, right, that didn't not. see their name up there. They yep. probably also see get a sense. So maybe for the top twenty to twenty five teams, it maybe gives you a, a sense of where you're at. But what are your thoughts on just the idea of revealing the top sixteen? And and for our fans, the the reveal that was on CBS on Sunday that was from the actual committee. So that wasn't Correct. just somebody sitting around coming up with their prediction. That was the the same individuals who are going to be determining the official bracket in March. Correct. Yeah. Once he got past 16, once we started talking about the rest of the bracket, that was all me. But the top 16 is the committee. And it, it actually comes out of what the, what they've always done at the beginning of February, which is a, a dry run of their process. It's kind of like the mock process that they put the media through. They would always do it themselves, 
just so that the new committee members could get used to the tools and the data and all of that stuff. And, and it's a refresh for the older committee, committee members, too. So two years ago, they decided um, it was a suggestion, I think, of the coaches, uh, but also I think CBS uh, was on board with it, obviously, to give give out their, you know, vote for, you know, go through the process for the top 16 and reveal the top 16. And that even that, you know, doing that would be helpful for the committee members, too. So that's what they've done the last two years. Uh, last year, 15 of the 16 teams that they revealed uh, ended up staying in the top 16 a month later. That's more trivia than anything. They're, they're not trying to predict what will happen. They're, yeah. they're basing it on what they know about these teams now. Uh, and last year, the, the one team that they didn't have was Purdue, so that's kind of funny. But um, the, So this year, you know, it's... I mean, there were surprises. I think people were surprised to see Michigan State as a not just not even a one, but a three. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the polls today, uh, they're number one, I think, in one of the polls, and number in two the in the other. Poll, yeah, yeah, and and that just goes to show that first of all, polls don't matter, but also they just measure different things. The committee's judging you based on your entire season, your strength of schedule, your ability to win away from home, uh, just all kinds of things. They look at you in great detail, and poll voters basically slot teams. You win, you move up, you lose, you know, you drop, and right. they don't really don't put don't have time to put nearly as much thought into it as yeah. the committee does. Correct. So uh, they're just different things. Um, it would be unusual in March to see a team in the near the top of the rankings as a three seed, but uh, you know that's a way of working itself out. Uh, but Purdue is a one, Michigan State is a three, Ohio State is a four. Uh, I thought were you know reasonably. I, I under I didn't have Michigan. I wouldn't have put Michigan State there myself when I did a projected bracket. But I understand why they're there. Mm-hmm. They didn't play a very good schedule this year, non-conference, which Tom Izzo always does. Uh, but this year they played Carolina, Duke, Notre Dame, uh, who's um, not the same as the Notre Dame team that Michigan State played. Now, right. once Fonte Colson got hurt, they're obviously not the same. And the committee, by the way, knows that. They'll look at Michigan State's game with Notre Dame and say that team is better than we were when we're seeing in our rankings right. and account for that. Um, but you know, they didn't, uh, their non-conference schedule ranks in the two hundreds, which is really atypical for Michigan state. They, uh, they don't have much, they've only potential tournament teams really they've beaten are Purdue and North Carolina. Um, unless somebody sneaks up out of the bottom of the big 10 here, uh, and ends up taking a spot, but it's, uh, it's just a really thin resume and especially by Michigan State standards. But part, part of that is their own non-conference schedule wasn't as good as it usually is, and part of that is that the Big Ten is really down this year once you get past the top four. Well, this is the first year that the um, selection process has gone to this tier system as well. And uh, yeah. give us the quick, well, what are your thoughts on it, and give us the quick rundown on, on uh, that system in terms of, quanti- or I guess it's a way to quantify wins, so to speak? Yeah, the, the, it's how they define the quality of your opponents. So they've always had this. The, the, their team sheets have basically got four, you know, four columns uh, in, in descending quality, right? So you've got your top column, uh, a top bucket of teams, your second one, third one, fourth one. It's just that they were easily defined. The first one was always 1 to 50 RPI, then 51 to 100, then 101 to 200, and 200 plus. So nobody ever called them quadrants because you could easily define what they were. You could just say top 50, mm-hmm. right? Right. Now they've added a home and road element to it. So those rankings of 50, 100, 200, that's still, for neutral court games, that still applies. But for home games, in order to be in the top quadrant, you, it has to be a team ranked 1 to 30. Mm-hmm. For a road game, it's a team ranked 1 to 75. So that top quadrant now, those quadrants now reflect how much harder it is to win away from home. So what you're seeing is that that games you know like last year that you played on the road that might have been in the second quadrant mm-hmm. are now actually in the first quadrant games that you played at home last year that might have been in the first quadrant or in the second quadrant and oftentimes it's kind of a wash but um but it's uh i it, the committee was kind of doing that in their head anyway i mean they were already saying well that's that's a road game so yeah they're on the second column but really that's a pretty good team play them on the road they really that that's a better win than that looks like right so they were taking they they basically took what they were already doing in their heads yeah and put it on the team sheet that way i I like that yeah i like what that is but the but the columns are still they they mean the same to the committee members that they did before but the teams that are in those columns might not be the same and i like that change because uh we would sit there and say yeah 
we it, the team is a, is ranked 60 and we beat them on the road but boy that's right. just as hard as playing the 49th team at home right and uh, it and, just and you seemed look at Purdue, you look at Purdue uh the road win at Maryland the road win at Marquette those are top tier games right last year they're not the home win over Michigan the home win over Louisville those are second tier games last year they're they're top tier games so for Purdue it's a wash right right two up two down it's it's the same but you know the but the, the committee's now seeing, you know, that Purdue's a good team on the road that are away from home because their top five wins, they're, all their quadrant one wins are away from home. Is it safe to say that uh, different committees value different things? Um, yeah, different committee members value different things. Yeah, it seemed like this year when they talked to the chairman uh, on Sunday that there was, um, I don't know, maybe just me reading into it, but it seemed like there was more of a premium placed on road victories. Yeah, well, it's, it's always been that way. Because the tournament's not played at home. Right. Um, but oftentimes what separates the teams really at the bottom, uh, when you're talking, because that's often what the discussion centers around, is that the teams who got in and the teams who didn't. Uh, oftentimes it's, it has to do with your ability to win away from home. Like Syracuse last year had some great wins. They were all at home. Yep. They had two road wins the entire season. And that committee had never taken, I mean, in the 25 years I've been doing this, had never taken a team with so few road wins. And and Syracuse didn't make it, and that's why. Uh, they've always emphasized non-conference strength of schedule, and almost every year some team gets left out that's near the bottom of the bracket because they played a poor non-conference schedule. That ends up being the deciding thing for them. Obviously, Michigan State's non-conference schedule isn't very good this year, but they're not going to be near the bottom of the bracket, so that's not a problem for them. But there are certainly teams this year, Penn State in the Big Ten, uh, for example, that, that might miss the tournament because – they took November and December off. Basically, <laughs> that might be a little harsh, but that's basically what they did. We didn't, we didn't play anybody, so you know we're just we're just going to try and make our bones in conference. And sometimes that works for you, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. Uh, when you look at the Big Ten, do you think uh, there's a potential to get a fifth team in? There is. Um, do you think really of Do you think a fifth team gets in? No, I don't think the, <laughs> I don't think the teams that that can do it are are actually good enough to pull it off, but we'll see. Um, Only two would be Nebraska and Penn State, right? Right, but it my, I guess my point is uh, if if a Nebraska team finishes 13-5. and five, They could finish 14-4 and four and not beat a single team that helps them the rest of the way. But if, if they finish 14-4, and four, you say they're out? I'd say they're not in yet. Wow. They, think about they have that. To, if you think about it. If they 14-4 and four is the best that they can do, but right. they don't have anybody left on their on their schedule that helps them. Oh, I agree. I and I understand. Okay. I understand all so that. So if they finish thirteen and five, their resume will be worse then than it is now. Yeah, and it's not good enough now. I I understand all the, that. I I think what I what's what's mind blowing to a lot of us is if somebody told you at the beginning of the year you're going to go fourteen and four in the Big Ten and you're not going to get in the tournament. Or, there's, you know, if, if that would happen. Which won the that championship would, for us last year. Right. I mean, that right, would blow people's happened. mind. Yeah, it would blow right. people's mind. It, but if Purdue had gone, or, or even still does go 14-4, and four, they're still in. Because Purdue took care of some business in non-conference play. Sure, sure. I right. just think it's so, – it's. I mean, we talk – well, I just, I just want to caution. We talk about conference records and conference standings. Those are not even on the team sheets. They're right. not considered at all. Right. Okay. So we're talking about it kind of to give some context, but it's re- that's trivia, not criteria. Uh, great way to put it. Great way to put it. But I think that that, that stat would blow – that trivia would blow oh, people. for sure. Mind. For so, sure. So what is the one thing – and this will be our last question here before we get to our, our final four questions for you. But um, Okay. What, what is the one thing – the biggest misconception that as a bracketologist just drives you crazy. Like when you, it's like nails on a chalkboard when you hear people either ask you or, or talk about it or even things you see on social media. It's the conspiracy theories, the black helicopter crowd, the people <laughs> who think that the name on the front of your Jersey matters. The people who think who's coaching your team matters. Uh, the people who think that they're trying to set up sexy matchups in the bracket. I mean, if you ever went through a bracketing process with all the rules and stuff, first of all, a lot of people in that room, for example, might not know that Conzo Martin's coach in Missouri and he played at Purdue and, you know, and if, and if Purdue and Missouri somehow ended up in the same bracket, everybody would say, oh, they're trying to get Conzo Martin and, and back to against his old school and 
like nine out of ten people in that room a don't even know it and <laughs> and certainly don't care they're trying to follow all of these rules you know and there's right. a lot of you know so it's it's that kind of stuff it's the the non-merit-based stuff that the conspiracy theorists love that's all crap and the evidence shows that it's all crap that's the stuff that annoys me it's pretty cool. Okay, I dig it. Well, um, we we will move on to now to our final four questions here with Jerry Palm, who is okay. a uh, which has even nothing the, to do with bracketology, Jerry. So. Oh, yeah, these great. are outside the box questions. Um, okay. So we we pose these to all our podcast guests. So our first question of the final four is: What is your go-to music of choice? I am a well, I I like a lot of different kinds of music, but I am classic rock. My favorite band is Queen. Um, I. Uh, if I have to, if I got stuck listening to nothing else, Queen would be great. Um, but I also like, set, you know, current people like Bruno Mars, Maroon Five, uh, Pentatonics, which is an acapella band, yeah, one yeah. of my favorites. So um, uh, it's a relatively diverse. But if if I have to pick one thing, it's going to be classic rock led by Queen. You know, if I ha- if I could go back in time and see anybody perform live, uh, Freddie Mercury and Queen would be near the top of the I, list. I was fortunate enough to get to do that. They're worth seeing with Adam Lambert in front of the band too it's different but he's really good man that is very cool and of course uh brian may um yep. the lead guitarist of queen yep. you would consider i guess a fellow nerd uh he's an astrophysicist yep. right in uh Doc, yep, doctorate in astrophysics yeah yeah very yep. uh, brilliant man wow. and yep. an excellent yep. guitarist as well so very cool answer jerry i'm a big fan of that hey i'll go ahead and leave right now you guys take it over it's <laughs> <laughs> way outside of my mental capacity right at the moment uh, second question here in the final four is, um, what is your favorite book or maybe a great book you've read recently? Well, I'll give you my favorite author. Um, Dave Barry is my hero as a writer. Oh, very cool. Humor columnist at the Miami Herald for a number of years. Right, since yeah. retired from that gig. I'll read pretty much anything he writes. Uh, makes me laugh every time. Uh, one of my favorite, he actually did a column about Purdue one time. Uh, the engineering picnic where they tried to come up with different ways to light a grill faster. And, uh, and that one, if you ever yeah, look that one up, uh, that one's pretty funny. Um, uh, it, although it involves a, a mushroom cloud over Lafayette, Indiana at some point. But, um, it's uh, yeah, he's my, anything that he writes, I'm fine with. You know, I think Dave is probably, is it safe to say he was kind of Jerry Seinfeld before Jerry Seinfeld? Well, it, it's different, but his, you know, his humor is a lot of exaggeration and outrageousness and, yeah. and just seeing the world in a different way, which has always kind of been my sense of humor, too. So I uh, um, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits, and we actually kind of look alike, except I'm a lot I was going to say, I, I didn't know how you'd feel about it if I said that, but yeah, you yeah. guys no, do resemble yeah. each other. Very good. Yeah. Okay. He's older, and I'm taller. So uh, third question here on the Final Four with Jerry Palm. If uh, you could wave a wand to do any other profession starting tomorrow, what would that be? For me? Mm-hmm. Um, singer. That's a, that's a talent that I've always admired and never I, – I am brutal. I, I, can't, I can't even manage – it's like karaoke. You know, I, I, in church, my, I, I'll go to church and I'll listen to other people sing. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of at a whisper because I always say I don't really make a joyful noise. Um, one of my favorite uh, experiences, I, I, was, I did a Duke game. And I don't know if you've uh, been, been to Duke, but they've got the press row is basically the first row of the student section. Right. They're, they're, they're right on top of you. During yep. the national anthem, I talked to some of the kids before the game to try and make friends so that I wouldn't get body paint on me. Um, <laughs> but they, the kid right behind me sang the national anthem. It was just glorious. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's like, oh, that's what I asked him. I said, uh, you must be a music major. He says, oh, yeah, vocal music. <laughs> really? Wow. He should be wow. out there singing to half court instead of whoever that was. Wow. Because he was fantastic. So what if you would you so if you sang professionally, would it be in a rock band or would it just be? Yeah, yeah, something like, yeah, it would be. Uh, I'd, I'd sing. Well, I'd, I mean, I'd try in front of Queen, but that, I, would, I don't can't imagine ever being that good. But, I would, uh, I'd be happy to sing for Sticks or Metallica or somebody like that. That is out. Would you grow the hair out? Uh, I'd have to, wouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, I think you probably would. At least I still have hair. Yeah. You, know, I, you would be surprised. My Twitter feed is full of comments about my hair. I get more crap for my hair than I do anything else. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm a 54-year-old man with a full head of hair. Hey, if the worst thing happening is them picking on your hair, then you're... You're doing. It could always be worse. You're doing all right, but it never ceases to amuse. Do you find Do you find Twitter sometimes just to be so toxic? Um, not really for me. 
I feel bad for the women in our business because I, I know for them it's 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 horrible. Um, but uh, no, I every job I've ever had has been one where you're expected to start perfect and get better. I mean, I started you know in programming, doing payroll. Um, I, I've been a referee and an umpire, and now I'm doing this. So, you know. You built up I some began, calluses. I, I, decided to, I decided I wanted to become a basketball referee after watching Jim Bain for all those years. Uh, gosh, oh, Boomer Bain. Long. We just talked about him the other day, that, didn't we? Know. Yeah, we I were, brought him up the other day. We were just talking about Boomer Bain. We were talking about some of the old um, officials in the Big Ten, and we were kind of yeah. rattling off names on one of our road trips, yeah. and his name came yeah. up. Of course, yeah. Matt, Matt played. We turned it into a verb. Yeah, Coach Painter played, and Elliot's too young to remember them all. Of course, I've been part of all of them, so it's right. uh, it's interesting. All right, Jared, last question here on the Final Four. What is a little-known fact or something that no one knows about you? I was a state math champion in high school. Mm. So that's, how, that's how much of a numbers nerd I was. I ended up, I almost double majored in math at Purdue by accident, just taking a bunch of electives. What was your high school? Um, what's that? Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Rich Central in Illinois. The same high school as Kendall Gill. Uh, he oh, okay. was going in as I was coming out. And so you advanced through a uh, bracket to get to the state no, championship? Not really. No, no, it was um it was like the first or second time they'd done it in Illinois back then and they just we, they just put us in a big auditorium and gave us a test. Like kinda of like a spelling bee. Or no, this yeah, is a written like test. Yeah. So I ended up with the high score. I, I you know, and it's funny because I mean I obviously knew that I, that's the one thing I was good at as a kid. Um, but you know, you go to something like that and there's kids from all over the state and you don't know if you're going to win something like that. So I really only cared about beating the one kid at my high school who was mad that he wasn't as good as me and the, the kids from the rival high school and whatever else happened. Was <laughs> well, Illinois is a pretty big state. <laughs> let, yeah. let me ask yeah. you this. So when your kids, uh, started bringing their math homework home, uh, what was your level of frustration talking them through some of those long division <laughs> problems? <laughs> you know what? I was, I was fortunate that my kids got, um, got kind of the math gene i haven't had okay. to help them much with their math homework i'm getting into um, that. and now i've got two kids that are engineers now you know engineering students now so yeah it's there's a, a whole bunch of chips off the old blockhead here so um i don't really have to help them much with the math okay very cool well that's great so uh, jerry i want to i want to thank you for taking time um we uh we we follow your work i've followed you for a long time um and used uh, some of the different um metrics that have been out there and i will say as somebody who puts together our non-conference schedule um they long ago there were things that i was paying attention to and you try to put together the best you know schedule you can to uh to put yourself in the be- best position come march but uh, big fan of your work and appreciate you taking time to join us here on the podcast all right thank you all right jerry take care well what do you think close well it's uh it's really interesting that you can uh you know, this isn't where you start, and then all of a sudden you have a, a profession that basically is based on your formula of things and uh, obviously has a good good feel for it. I think it's almost an impossibility. The one question we didn't ask him is how accurate he's been over the years. Yeah, I think he... Uh, I think him and Joe Lenardi, it seems like, in the last few years when you can follow him, you think that... Uh, most of the time they get the 60 well what are we up to now 68 teams 68. they get those right for the most part save one or two um a lot of times it seems like they've gotten this thing so far down to a science that the biggest discrepancies come on seating and uh maybe a team you think should be a you know four or five ends up a six or seven or something like that but uh They've got it down to a science, and uh, not a lot of guesswork uh, left in it as much anymore. So yeah, you know, I was—I uh, had a story yesterday. I was uh, going, getting prepared for the coaches' show last night, and I, uh, you know, we saw where Virginia leapfrogged a team to go to first place in the AP poll after losing on Saturday, which was—and I stayed in East Lansing after the game and was actually eating dinner when they lost that game and watched it. And everybody in the bar says, you know, Michigan State now goes to number one, which right. seemed to be the... But anyway, so as I was working on it, the last time they were number one was when they had Ralph Sampson in 1982, and I couldn't help but think that uh, one of the things in my career in 1983, in the spring of 83 in Ogden, Utah, I did 
for CBS Radio. I was a color announcer with Jim Kelly on the CBS regional broadcast of Ralph Sampson's final game. It was against North Carolina State and Jim Valvano. And so I went back and looked at that entire bracket for that year. Of course, that's the year that North Carolina State won that uh, incredible game over Houston on the uh, Derrick Wittenberg air ball that was uh, put in uh, at the buzzer and gave them a two-point win. But they, they played Pepperdine, beat them by two. They beat UNLV by one. They had another one-point victory, and I think I'm, I'm trying to think who the other one-point victory. Oh, Virginia, the game that I was just referenced, Ralph Sampson and Virginia in Ogden. So they had two one-points, a two-point, won a championship by two. Think about that. Four games by two points or less to go on and win that national championship. Well, um, as we tape this, we are uh, we as we made reference. You know, we have four regular season games left. Big Ten tournament coming up in uh, New York City this year, a week early, um, a week between the Big Ten tournament and uh, Selection Sunday, which will be some uncharted waters for us. Um, Coach Painter's been through it as part of uh, Southern Illinois, where the Missouri Valley tournament's a week earlier. But it's it's amazing as we sit here. It's almost like that bracket, you got to remind yourself that bracket that came out Sunday is not gospel. It's not set oh, no. in stone. You, you also have to realize, too, and it, it's it's unfortunate in a way, but all of our opponents, with the exception of Penn State, who, and Jerry just mentioned, is, it has a has a weak uh, non-conference schedule. But the other three teams that we play are, you know, towards the tail end of our, we're going to be favored in all four games. And so it's, you know, there's going to be a, it's going to be a mark on us to try to close this out and win the last four games. And, of course, Coach Painter, he goes one at a time. That starts with Wisconsin, and we know that they're dangerous. But if you can get to that point and then go into Big Ten tournament based on seedings, then then you're going to – obviously you're going to you're going to most likely play somebody that's really good with another chance to improve that resume. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, a lot of – and the, the other thing, too, is I think – and I had – I think it's just natural – when I saw the the committee put the uh, top 16 teams up, you kind of think, well, we got to do this uh, to stay here or to move, you know, maybe into the Midwest, whatever it might be. And you forget that as I looked at the, I started looking at those other teams, they got a lot of big time games coming up. Um, you know, all those teams are going to have to. I know. I think Xavier and Villanova play down the stretch here. You know, those are two number one well, seeds in the same plus conference. Plus, we've had, had uh, for you know that four weeks of Purdue stayed at number three. In fact, the top three teams stayed at the same. Right. Villanova, Virginia, and Purdue. Everybody else, everybody else after that. Now Xavier and uh, Cincinnati have been pretty constant, but then everybody else has just been. One after another, after another, after another. You know, one loss, two loss, one loss, two loss. So, and that, and and then last week it hit us, hit Villanova, and, and hit uh, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. If you if this bracket comes out two weeks ago, West Virginia's in there somewhere. They're nowhere to be found right now. Uh, Ohio State might not have been in there two weeks ago. Now they're in there. Yeah, now so. they're up to and they're not they're up to number eight in the polls, which you know it's a big big boost for them. Yeah, I think I think. Long story short, when you look at all this, is just there's so much to be played down yeah. the stretch, and and any uh, you know any excitement one way or the other or pessimism, um, just you know. Well, pre- I, I watched that Virginia game, and of course, Virginia Tech's not in their league in terms of record or anything right. of that nature. They're rivals, I get it, but they were playing at Virginia, and again, it was one of those games where Virginia Tech gets behind late. And then just starts hitting shots that they never hit. And more, I think more teams, more ranked teams have been beaten by unranked teams this year than in the last twenty five oh, yeah, years. I agree. And it's been uh, it's been a, a pretty incredible year. I don't I I think sometimes people say March is going to be crazy. I don't I don't know if that's going to be the case. I don't know how much crazy it could be than normal years. But uh, I, I certainly think it's a wide open field as uh, we head down the home stretch here. So, all right, we shall see. Excited for the uh, for the last few weeks here, and uh, want to thank everybody for uh, for tuning in. Uh, I know we've kind of been a little sporadic on these podcasts, getting them out, but we've 
had uh, some heavy travel weeks, some weather issues on our travel, which has kind of thrown our schedule off a little bit. But our big thanks to Sylvia for uh, lining Jerry Palm up today and for rearranging our calendar to deal with our travel issues. Uh, she's got some more guests lined up, and we'll try to get back on schedule with our Monday release of these podcasts. This has been podcast episode 38 with Jerry Palm uh, for Larry Clisby. want to thank everybody for listening. Keep the emails and feedback coming. We always appreciate it. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Thank you.